0: Hallelujah. Good morning everyone. Uh, The oldest class stays. The youngest class you're still to go to Sunday school. So the youngest class you may be dismissed. If you're not sure go to the back and Charlene if she says you're too old she'll send you back. Um, So uh, my children will probably get sent back. All right children you may be dismissed. Hallelujah. Before we begin the sermon this morning, um, we're going to have a, a little time of prayer. Um, Seanine, we'd like to pray for you this morning. Um, she Is it okay if I share a little bit? Okay, she had her regular uh, appointment with the oncologist this week, and there is still uh, the markings, the... the The way they read her thyroid, the marking was too high, so they have to do another, what they call a round of iodine, radioactive iodine treatment, in which she would take it, and then I think for three or four days she sits around and plays games by herself um, because of the radioactivity of it. And that was a disappointment. And I'm not satisfied with those reports. Has anybody here ever been disappointed when you've got some news and it wasn't the news that you were hoping for? What do you do when that happens? Well, I want to encourage you when those things happen, and Pastor Winona shared last week, but you go after it. That may be what the doctors say. That may be the diagnosis. But I have a great physician that loves me Amen. and cares for me. So, Shawnine, we're going to pray for you. We're going to speak to those markers that they take. I believe you have one more test, but that is for them to, to determine how the effectiveness of the treatment or the intensity. But is there anybody else? We're going to pray for Shawnine, but is there anybody else here? that you've got some health issue that you need... And I'm talking about health this morning that you need prayer for that isn't 100%. If you are, come forward. Seanine, if you could come, and if there's anybody else, Pastor Nelson and Winona, if you could take the anointing oil. And we're just going to take a couple moments. And I'd like the rest of you, you can come forward too to pray Brother Howard, Kathy, Mom and Dad, Harry and Donelda. Amen. Adrian, we're family. It's okay. Jeff and Patty, we'd love you to come and and speak words of life. Alvaro, I see you've got the young one, but you can join us if, if you're comfortable. Amen. We're family. Lee, if you would like to come, I recognize the gift of God in your life. Amen. Amen. We're gonna just just let's just take a moment. We're family. If I haven't called you, you can come on up. Okay. Everybody is welcome to come. And let's let's believe in prayer, in faith. Hallelujah. Let's stretch forth your hands to Shaunen. Praise. Hallelujah. Dad, can you also lay hands and anoint Winona? She's got scar tissue mobility movement with her arm from all the treatment, and I want it gone. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Sheila, I love your smile. Your smile brightens up the day. Amen. You're a mighty woman of God. And he has not forgotten you. He looks at you, and he smiles. And the smile that you have, it's just flowing from him to others. Amen. We love you. If you could turn in your Bibles, I want to share this morning on John chapter 4. We've been looking at some conversations with Jesus, and, and this one today it's it's the woman at the well, and I want to share with you a few thoughts about how Jesus reacted or interreacted or interacted, not interreacted, interacted with this, this woman at the well. And I want as we look at this passage, I want to see a couple of things. I want to see how we respond, and I want us to see how Jesus responds. And in these conversations, we've looked at a couple of them. We looked at Lazarus a number of weeks ago. And even though he was dead, Jesus said, no, he's not a dead, dead person. He's, he's just sleeping. And what man thought was hopeless, Jesus looked at and said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then a few weeks ago, we also looked at Nicodemus, and Jesus has a conversation with him, and Nicodemus comes to him at night and says, he starts talking to him, and Jesus says, unless you're born again, and Nicodemus says, well, how can that happen? How can a grown man enter his mother's womb again? And he wasn't being silly or facetious. He, was just, he had never heard that terminology. He had never heard that before. And so for him, he, he looked at it and said, how can that be? And Jesus wasn't talking about a natural birth. He was talking about a spiritual birth and we are people that are made of of a spirit we we have a spirit and i think sometimes in our western culture we do not realize the import or the impact of the spirit and i know a lot of the eastern and middle east and and the um some of those nations there there's there we we look at it and almost think there's an over aspect over um emphasis on the spirit. But I believe there's, there's, there's an aspect of the spirit of man. And so when Jesus comes and he's talking, he's not just talking about natural, although he does deal with natural things, but he also deals with spiritual things. And I want to look at some things this morning out of John chapter 4. I want to read, read the passage to you, and we're going to start at about verse 7 here. His disciples and Jesus had had decided that they needed to go from one area down to another area. And, and if you looked on the map, there was this country or this, this land mass between uh, Judea and, and Galilee, and it was called Samaria. And traditionally, traditionally, the Jewish people would actually go around Samaria. And they would take extra days, they would actually cross the Jordan River, then go up or down, north or south, whichever direction they were traveling, and then they go back over the Jordan River to to their nation, um, the Jewish nation. So Samaria was kind of in the middle. And Samaria was was known, the, the the Jewish people did not connect, did not relate, did not talk with Samaritans. Because Hundreds of years earlier, when the Jewish nation was carried exile, because God sometimes had a king of the Syrians and the Babylonians, they would take Israel and Judah captive. And one time when they took them captive, some of the Israelites that stayed back in the Samaria area mingled and married other nations, and that was against the teaching of the Jewish people. And so they they were not true Jews, and yet they still believed that they were special. So there's a little bit of context, or as my wife would tell me, there's a little bit of subtext. I never get the subtext, but in this passage I studied and I tried to get a bit of the context of the subtext. So Jesus here, as he's talking, he's going through, and I want you to understand this, Jesus was going through an area that people, the Jewish people, didn't go through on a regular occasion. And I'm amazed at Jesus because he will do things that other people say shouldn't be done. Jesus will say, no, I don't care about the tradition, I don't care about the customs, I don't care about the formalities, this is what needs to be done. I mean, he spit on dirt and mud and then stuck it on a guy's eyes. If you did that today, it'd be all over Facebook and it wouldn't be in a good way. In another instance, he said, stick out your tongue. And the guy sticks out his tongue, and he spits on his tongue. Like, ah! Not the hygiene way. And yet, Jesus would do things. And what he was doing, he was doing what the Father told him to do. So in this instance, the Father tells Jesus, I want you to go through Samaria. And he stops, and he's tired, and he stops at this well. And it was about 12 o'clock, or they call it the sixth hour. And verse 7, it says, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said, give me a drink. Now, let me ask you, if somebody said, give me a drink, what would you think they're talking about? Water? I mean, that's what I would think. If I went to the Cactus Club or, or Milestones or somewhere and, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thirsty and, and, and I'd say, you know, people are walking by with glasses of water or they got pitchers of water and i say, give me a drink, the person would think, well, they're talking about water, they're talking about the soda, they're talking about the beverage. So Jesus, his first, com- his first comment is give me a drink. What I want you to see is sometimes the conversations Jesus has, we don't actually hear what he's saying. We think we hear what he's saying, but when we take time to actually hear what he's saying, we find out that what he's saying is actually not what we're hearing. And he says, give me a drink. And she looks at him, and the woman of Samaria She says in verse 9, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then will you get that living water? Now, they say the well was in the neighborhood of over 100 feet deep and about a seven-foot diameter. And the water would any, be anywhere from 70 to 80 feet down, and he had nothing to draw the water from. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you to see the situation where Jesus comes in and Jesus speaks something And we right away equate it to what's happening right in front of our eyes. But we don't understand that sometimes he's seeing it different than you and I see it. We see it based on the need or what's right there in front of us. He didn't even have a a bucket or a Pale or whatever necessitated and was needed in order to draw the water up. He had nothing. He's just sitting there. And she says, how can you ask me? You don't even have anything to bring it up with. And he refers to it as living water. He says, and then she says, that, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him, shall give him, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal, everlasting life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, and I love this, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you've well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. So you spoke truly. I don't know about you, but I haven't met somebody who's had five wives or five husbands. But I'm sure the reputation would get around. I don't think she was necessarily the most popular person. She might have been the most talked about person. But usually not in the good way. Jesus does have, has no problem talking to somebody who's had five husbands. Hmm. In fact, he has no problem talking to somebody who's had five husbands and is now living with a guy and they're not married. I'll be honest with you, as believers, sometimes we have a hard enough time talking to somebody we know that's living with another person. Yeah, I don't know if that was a good spot for an amen or not, so we'll, we'll, just, we'll just continue. I want you to see some things and how Jesus looks at things. Because I think the way he looks at things and what he does in his heart reveals the Father's heart. And the Father's heart looked at this woman and didn't say, oh, she's too far gone. And we have it as a woman, but it could also be a a man. It's a person. And Jesus didn't look at that person knowing their past because she says to him, I don't have a husband. And he says, yeah, you've answered well. She did not tell him that she had five husbands or had five husbands. She didn't give him that, and Jesus knew that. And yet Jesus still reached out and had a conversation, and carried it on. And he goes, I know you don't. He says, and the, the guy you're with now, he's not your husband. And the woman says, I perceive that you're a prophet. And We continue on, we'll, we'll go down a, a number of verses. She leaves them, and she runs into town, and she says, come and see a man, in verse 29, who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came to him. The effect that Jesus has on one person affected the whole city. I want you to see some things in this passage. And I've just, I've written down a number of thoughts as we've gone through the verses. The first thing I want you to do, you see, in verse 7 is that Jesus starts the conversation. In some conversations, Nicodemus came to him. In other conversations, Jesus starts the conversation. And I believe this morning, Jesus wants to start a conversation with many of us. And you say, well, you don't know my past. Evidently, it doesn't matter to Jesus. Paul, who is known as Saul, was going to persecute believers, and he gets halted on the way by the voice of Jesus, by Jesus, interrupting him and saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus started that conversation. If you're taking notes, you can write down that Jesus starts conversations. He told his disciples, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. When I was a kid, I used to play street hockey on the road. Back when it was allowed, back when there wasn't as many cars. And we'd have a lot of my brothers and we'd have a bunch of kids from the neighborhood and we had a curb on each side and you'd sit on the curb and then the two captains would stand up and they'd start choosing their team. And I was one of the youngest guys there. In fact, I didn't realize it at the time, but they stuck me in goal because I was the youngest kid. I now realize why they did that. Back then I was just happy to play, but now I realize I was target practice. And they said I was Ken Dryden, but I don't think that was the truth. I think they just wanted to shoot the ball at somebody. But I would sit on that curb with a couple of my other brothers and with other kids and and they'd start picking the team. And you always wanted to be picked first. Anybody identify with that? Dodgeball, games in the gym at school. And it was like the last person to be picked, you know, kind of hung his head and walked over to the... Because... He was the person that had no talent. He couldn't throw. He couldn't play. He couldn't skate. He... Jesus chose you. He didn't say, well, i have him and him, and then get finally to you and go, oh, well, it's my pick. Come on. No, he chose you. And I remember when I would get picked first. Man, when I would get chosen first, I thought I was the best player there because I got picked first. And that's kind of how Jesus Jesus says, I chose you. He starts the conversation. Jesus comes and he wants to converse, he wants to talk, and he wants to speak to you. And I find it interesting in this reaction, the woman didn't even recognize who Jesus was. She didn't know who he was. And she, she asked them, well, how, how can I get you a drink? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. <clears throat> Back in those days, I told you the Samaritans and Jews didn't talk. Even further than that, somebody that was considered a rabbi or a teacher did not talk to women. In fact, some of them, some of those men... Would not even talk to their wife, their sister, or their daughters in public. So here's Jesus kind of like messing with the system. Have you ever noticed sometimes he likes to mess with your system? I've mentioned before, sometimes he wants to offend your mind in order to get to your heart. And everybody here, the the, the disciples come back and they see him talking to a woman. In fact... What's funny is there was a group of Pharisees that they called the Bruised and the Bleeding Pharisees. And they were the Pharisees that actually, when they saw a woman walking down the street, they would actually close their eyes. But not only that, they'd keep walking. And it says that they would actually be called the bruised and the bleeding one because they would walk into a wall or walk into a tree or trip because they were so determined not to look at a woman or to talk to somebody that they would blind their eyes, close their eyes, and they trip or fall. I mean, sometimes we have some crazy ideas that we put on other people or expectations that we put on other people. And Jesus came along that, and he said, you know what? I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to talk to this person. Now, today, we don't have it that way, but you know what we have? We have AIDS. We have other diseases. We have lifestyles. Lifestyles that I don't, I, I don't understand, to be honest with you. But Jesus, he went and he talked to this woman. I mean, there was a number of reasons why he didn't have to and a number of reasons why he could have said no. But he saw something and he said, no, I want to speak to that woman. She didn't recognize him. He starts the conversation. If you continue on, the Jews didn't talk with the Samaritans. Jesus overstepped tradition in order to save a soul. We come from, Abbotsford is known as the Bible Belt. And there are things that, as believers, stereotypes. I think sometimes Jesus just wants to throw those out of the way And say, there's a soul. In fact, I know he does. He overstepped tradition. He couldn't care less about custom. He didn't want about formality. He didn't need that. He saw a soul. I want you to see how Jesus looked at this woman as a model or as a picture, as an example of how we can see people touched by the power of God. He uses the term living water. He says if, if, if you knew the gift of God, <clears throat> actually I, I want you to think about that. If you knew the gift of God, God has a gift for you. God has a gift for you. He looks at the woman and he says to her, if you knew the gift of God, and he wasn't talking about something that she had to pay for, it was something that he had paid for and he was going to give her. When we see somebody who's not saved, when we see somebody who's saved and struggling, there's a gift of God that we can give them. And it doesn't have strings attached, it has Jesus attached. He didn't say, I've got a gift for you, but you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to jump over this way, you've got to crawl under this, you've got to turn around so many times, you've got to say it this way. He just said, "I have." if you knew the gift of God, God has a gift for every single one of you here today. Every single one of you, God has a gift for you. I like gifts. Just ask my children. I tell them the way our birthdays happen, June 22nd is the last birthday. Oh, yes, July 8th. So four days from now or five days from now is the last birthday of the children. And then for like four months, It works up to my birthday. And I keep telling them that. They know the day of my birthday because I like to get a gift. Somebody said amen there. I'm going to take that name and I'm going to remind you of my birthday. But we like gifts. I'm here to tell you, God has a gift for you. Every single one of you here God's got a gift for you. And Jesus says, if you only knew the gift, and then he gives an invitation. And he says, I would give me a drink. If you would have asked him, he would have given you living water. The gift that God has for you is something that is not dead. Something that is alive. Something that is real. Something that actually he says it will stir up within you and it's eternal life. In fact, he, it's a gift that never dies. Have you ever had a gift that never dies? Jesus is that gift. She she still doesn't quite understand. and And this is... We sometimes read the, picture, the, read the story in about a minute and a half. But if we're sitting there having that dialogue, I think sometimes we would fall right in with the woman at the well. Or we would fall right in with the disciples. Or we would fall right in with this other people. Because when we're having that conversation, we're just looking like this. We're looking this way. Here's a well. You've got nothing to draw from it. And you're asking me to give you a drink. And then you turn around and say, if you knew the gift of God, and, I've got, and you'd ask me to give you a drink, I'd give you living water. And it's like, how can you do that? And he's having this conversation with her, and this woman is asking a few questions, and she still doesn't understand this. And sometimes the questions she has relate to the situation. And when Jesus comes on the scene and he gives her a solution, she still is stuck looking at her situation. Have you ever looked when God comes, knocks on your door with a solution, and all you see is everything that's happening around you? Well, it's the end of the month, or it's the beginning of the month. Or I've got this person calling me. Or I've got that person calling me. Or I've got to deal with this. And somebody says, I've got a solution for you. And you'll go, yeah, but your solution has no bearing on doing this. Jesus comes and he looks at the woman and he says, I can give you living water. Her response still is, how can you do that? When Jesus offers you something, he offers something that's greater and better. Thank you, Alvaro. I'll repeat that. When Jesus offers you something, he offers you something that's greater and better. He does not offer you something that is inferior. He always offers you something that is superior. He always gives you an upgrade. He always takes you from drinking regular water to drinking living water. He takes you from a situation of Lazarus that's dead to something that is eternal life. Not only that, but he also talks about life now because he raised Lazarus from the dead. He's concerned about the present situation And here he's looking at the situation and he offers something greater and better. In the New Living Translation, when the woman says, We have this from our father Jacob, and he's better than this, and how can you offer anything greater? Jesus offers something greater. Jesus offers something better. He offers something that never ends. He offers something that never ends. You're thinking, no, I can't be. No, he offers something that never ends. The life that Jesus has to offer The living water that he has to give is a living water that never ends. It is life eternal. It is not life that is equated with this body, but it is life that is equated with heaven on earth. It is life that is equated with the eternal. It is life that is equated with God. If I was to tell you right now that there's eternal life for you, some of you sitting here actually might say, well, how can that be? because I'm flesh and bones, and I'll one day die. That's not the life I'm talking about. I'm talking about eternal life. And the amazing thing is the eternal life happens, and it starts now, and it affects your natural life, and it affects your life after you die. Sometimes we just think in the here and now. We get stuck in the nasty now. When Jesus has something that is totally never ending, Jesus offers something that totally satisfies. It says, "If I gave you this living water, you'll never thirst." Anybody here love to have a drink? And once you have a drink, you'd never thirst. Anybody? That's the thirst, that's the water, that's the drink that Jesus has to offer. And it's not talking about just a natural drink. He's now talking into a spiritual term. I've had conversations with Pastor Nelson and many other people too, but I know Pastor Nelson in particular, he still remembers the day when he was sitting in his family room And the Holy Spirit came upon him, filled him with the Holy Spirit. And he said, from that moment on, there was something inside of him that has never stopped. It's driven him. It has caused him, yeah, he's hungered, but it's been a hunger for God. And it's been a satisfaction and a life inside that is from the Holy One of of Israel. It's from God. And Jesus is saying, I have something a thirst, something that you will drink and you'll never thirst again. Anybody want that? Hallelujah. I do. In Verse 13, and 14, he says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But that water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Those are words in red. Those are words that Jesus said. The life that Jesus has given you is a life that springs up. And what I find interesting is he offers an internal solution to an external problem. Did you catch that? We think it's always the external, but he deals with something internally which affects the external. And we'll get to that in a second, but quite often we chase things on an external basis. We chase things on a feeling, on a need, or on a want, and what's happened is we start to satisfy the things on the external basis, surface but we miss what's happening internally and I have found if you start trying to deal with the external all you end up doing is putting a band-aid on this and all of a sudden it starts there or if it's like a dam and if you try to plug the dam and you put your finger on there it spouts a hole somewhere else and after a while you can't keep up because you're doing something on the external when Jesus comes he says I want to touch the internal because when he touches what's inside." It will affect what's outside. He gets to the point where he says, Go and get your husband. I want you to think about this. He knows the situation. But he still continues. And as I was meditating on this, I said, I thank God that he knows the mess that I'm in. And he still loves me. I thank God. He knows. (laughs) He knows what I'm actually thinking. He knows some of the thoughts that come into my mind. He knows some of the the things that I think. He knows some of the things I say. He knows some of the things I do. And yet, I've done all that, and yet, he still loves me. This woman had five husbands, and she was working on her sixth. And Jesus still came, and he says, I care about you. The love of God is so amazing. And you say, well, I don't have five husbands. Neither do I. But I've certainly chased after things. And I picture here this woman going after something that she thinks is going to satisfy her. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, it might not be a husband. But it might be a career that's failed. It might be being recognized as an expert in something. It might be chasing after success chasing after something and actually getting there and once you get there you realize you know what it's not all that it's cracked up to be and actually that husband turns out to be some no you're you're that's not good enough and now i start chasing after something else and i chase after that and i get that and then i realize this isn't everything it is the honeymoon wears off i get rid of that husband And I go after another thing. You may not have five husbands, but I'm sure we've been married to things that haven't satisfied. I'm sure that we've been chasing things that haven't been satisfied. I'm sure we've even chased things that have satisfied. But then once you get it, and you wake up the next day or the next week, you realize it's empty. I thought, I thought, I thought if I could have this car with a certain color, certain size motor, It could go so fast, I thought if I could have that, everything would be fine. And then I get it. And literally, I wake up the next day, and I'm back where I was before. So get rid of the car. Then I think, well, if I could be recognized as this type of person, If I could get my satisfaction from this type of thing. So I chase that. I go after that. I get married to it. And then I wake up the next day. And I'm back to where I was before. I might even chase drugs. I might even chase alcohol. I might even chase Mary Jane. I might even chase other things. And I think they will give me a satisfaction. And I get a buzz. I get a high. I get a thrill. But then I wake up the next day. And I'm back here. unsatisfied. And this woman had five husbands and she's working on number six. I would say she was not happy. I would suggest to her, suggest to you that she was the impetus behind the song I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And I try and I try and I try. Thank you, Monique. Somebody understood. I put a lot of time and effort into that thought. But we try things. And Jesus goes to this woman who has tried one man, a second one. And I don't know if they've died or what happened, but she's on number six. And she probably feels like You know? (laughs) After a while, you realize the only constant in this problem is me. You know? You can blame one husband. You can blame a second. You can maybe get to a third. But by the time you get to number five, the blame starts to go like, maybe it's me. Maybe there's a problem with me. Maybe I'm the one that's not livable. Maybe I'm the one that's just a pain to be around. Maybe I'm the one that's always complaining. And Jesus comes, and what does he do? He spends time with her. He talks with her. He offers himself to her. He offers living water. And I'm here to tell you this morning that many of us, our believers. Many of us know Christ, but I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure if we really know him. We know what he can do, but do we know who he is? Because if you approach him from what he can do, after what he's done is finished, you revert right back. But when you get to know who he is, you stay with him. This woman was approaching things from a need basis. She had a need. And her need was evident with five husbands. And we might laugh and we might snicker at that. But I found that sometimes I have a goal in front of me and I reach that goal, and once I reach that goal, the next day, what happens? I'm here to tell you, even as believers, if we approach it from a need, from a need, from a need, we will miss out on who he is and we will only get what he can do. But when you go and you find out who he is, and you find out that he is the living water, that he is the water that you will never thirst again, when you realize that and you come to him and you accept him and fellowship with him and spend time with him, what happens is everything else comes with it. She could have her drink of water and she could have still missed who he was. And that just that just hit me. I'm so glad that he loves me enough to go out of the way to go through territory that nobody else would go through to sit and talk with somebody that everybody else is ostracized and the community and the culture says you don't talk to this type of person who would go to this person who has a past that is so terrible that everybody knows about it and he'd still say no that's who I'm going to I was touched he loves me so much he knows all about my mistakes He knows all about my frustration. He knows all about my anger. He knows all about my disappointments. He knows all about how this I thought would satisfy me and it doesn't. He knows that this doesn't work anymore. And he still says, David, I love you and I'm here and I've got living water for you. And this morning... If you've never accepted Christ, he knows about your past and he says, I've got living water for you. He doesn't say, fill out this form and I'll see if you qualify. He says, I look at my blood, you qualify. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior this morning, I would suggest to you that he's here to start a conversation with you. And it doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter if you've shacked up with somebody. It doesn't matter if you've had children illegitimate. It doesn't matter if you've been a success, been bankrupt, had a drug addiction. It does, God doesn't, he didn't put that against her. He just came and he says, I've got something for you. And it's called living water. And in these conversations we have, he came to Lazarus and he says, I've got life where there was death. He comes to another situation and he says, just the God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and he offered a whole new life where Nicodemus couldn't figure it out. This morning I'm here to tell you That Jesus is here and it doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It doesn't matter to him what happened before. He is here and he says, I don't care if you've got five husbands and you're living with number six. I love you and I've got living water for you. I love him. I love him. Because he doesn't say, David, you blew it. He says, David... I've got living water for you. So, if you could close your eyes, if everyone can just close your eyes for a moment, I want you to do a little introspection. I've got the first thing I want to do is I want to give an invitation to anyone here who does not know Christ as your personal Savior but you have found that you've been chasing after things thinking they're going to satisfy. If only I could get this, if only this, if only that. I'm here to tell you, he'll give you living water. If you'd like that, I want to give you an opportunity right now just to raise your hand. I'll pray with you right now that Christ will come and he'll give you that living water that satisfies. Amen. I also want to ask if you've accepted Christ, but do you know him? Do you know him? The invitation is, He has living water. And if you'd like to drink of that living water, I just want to give you an opportunity right now just to open your hands and, as a sign of faith and a prophetic act, just open your hands and lift them up to Him. We don't have to say anything, you don't have to sing, but as this song is playing, You can just receive.